podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Sitting pretty in the fifth round. How are you? I'm tremendous. I'm top of the table. So, you know, all as well. All as well. Um, we're obviously a few days removed from the bombshell that Jürgen is to leave at the end of the season. And I feel like I processed it fairly quickly and got out the far side of the the shock and the, oh dear, what happens next mindset and sort of already on to the next thing. I'm um, quite excited about the summer, Carl, and what it might bring. But obviously there's a lot of football left to be played. But where are you on the um, the misery meter that many people seem to be still at the start of trying to get through this Jürgen leaving unknown situation type of thing. <laughs> the misery meter, is that a, an official thing now? That's just something I've made up <laughs> on the spot because I couldn't think of anything else to call it. Um, uh, to be honest, I don't really think I even... I mean, apart from like, we we spoke about this on, on the day, obviously, because I was um, at work and we were already slated to do a pod that day. So we kind of spoke about it. I had like, you know, literally about 10 seconds to even have the shock and then just had to get on with it kind of thing. So I do sort of feel like I kind of delved through quite a lot of the what comes next and why and what's going on here and all of that in like literally about three hours afterwards, because I was just in the middle of it all basically. And that's mostly what I did for the rest of that day was lots and lots of clock related stuff. Um, so I do think that that went quite quickly just on account of that for me. Um, I haven't really bothered thinking too much in terms of who uh, just yet, because what I really got sort of stuck on in, in my head later that day was that I think there are just two realistic scenarios. One, as we went through on the pod, is that you go for the most talented of the young, younger managers and accept that one, they're going to be different. Two, they're going to you know try and do things in their own way, which is going to lead to some mistakes. Um, and they're not going to be as good as Klopp. Simple as that. That Nobody can be. That's just something we're going to have to accept. Um, and the other one is that you go for a, a much more experienced senior upper end manager. And you probably only have them for a couple of years and then you will have to move on again. Um, but they've got to be, I would say, a little bit of the, the calm type, like, you know, an Ancelotti type who are long in the tooth enough, let's say, to realise that there's not really much point in changing things just for the sake of putting their stamp on it, which is a big part of the reason why I think both of us don't want Julian Nagelsmann, for example. I think he will 
basically chip away at a lot of the foundation that we have here, which should serve almost any manager, but just to make it his own thing. And I don't think that that's needed in the slightest. So that's a big part of the reason why he's not on my list. Um, so I've not really gone too much into the who beyond those two groups. That's just where I think I've landed. And really, I, I'm, I'm quite keen to still focus on the football this year because we're in such a good position. And I know like the summer will be, you know, a lot of upheaval and a lot of change and a lot of unknowns and uncertainty and all the rest of it. But at the minute we've got like four months ahead of us, which should be absolutely epic. And I'm really keen to just try and enjoy that and really, really focus on that and see what we do over this next three, four months. And then we can make the assessments and, and the comparisons and the analysis of what changes afterwards. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to dominate the discourse between now and the summer because, you know, the games can only take up so much time in people's day-to-day. And they will look for other things to think about and talk about. And it's it's all going to focus back to the manager and who the manager's going to be. And, I mean, Hansi Flick is kind of the only one I could think of that kind of calmer older type manager. Now, he's not hugely experienced, but he's the only one because Carlos signed a new contract at Real. And, and to be honest, I don't think I'd want Ancelotti at this point anyway. Um, Thomas Tuchel apparently has told Bayern Munich that he will leave at the end of the season, uh, bringing to, uh, to the end what will be quite a short tenure having only taken over last March, would you consider him? Given he's <laughs> followed Klopp twice yeah. already? Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Um, no, I would, He does fall out I, with I, a lot I, of people. He does fall out with a lot of people. I, I would consider Tuchel in general circumstances, yes. Um, I don't necessarily think it'd be a good idea for him to follow Klopp a third time. I really don't. Um, I remember, you know, the Mourinho... Benitez Fandango, where they one followed the other like 70,000 times in a row kind of thing. I think it always ends up not reflecting too well on the person who comes um, second into that job. Mm. Just because, you know, it's not usually the case that people leave in the way that Klopp does, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think it would be very, very difficult for Tuchel to come in and follow Klopp. At Liverpool, I really do. Um, I, I think he's a very, very good manager. And generally speaking, I would be happy if there was somebody else in, in the middle of them who didn't work and then we went for Tuchel. I'd probably be pretty pleased with that, to be honest. Not the not working part, but the fact that we got Tuchel next. Um, but I just, I don't know that it would be the best idea for him to do it. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Gravenberg better hope that it's not Julian Nagel or <laughs> Thomas Tuchel. That's, that's for certain. Uh, on the topic of Dutch players, though, when asked if he will be part of the post-Klopp era, club captain Virgil van Dijk said, that's the big question, I don't know. I took that as him saying, well, that will depend on who the new manager is. They, they'll want to put their stamp on it, and I don't know if they'll want me. Uh, other people have gotten themselves all worked up into a tizzy over this. Um, as if it's Virgil saying, well, I'll have to decide if I want to play for the next manager. What did you make of it? Um, 
Look, I think he, he mostly talked about, well, we might as well read it, right? It says the club's going to have a big job on their hands uh, to replace the manager, and not only the manager, but the staff. There's so many things that will change. Uh, so I'm curious what direction it'll go in. And when that's announced, we'll see our situation. So I can't say much about it. So I, I kind of take the exact same thing that you have there. He's just saying, well, we don't know what's going to happen. So how do you expect me to say, oh, yes, I'll definitely be here? Um, I don't think it's any answer whatsoever, to be perfectly honest. I, I think this is just one of Virgil's swatting away. I can't be asked to tell you anything. Answers. Mm. This is what I'm reading from it. I don't think it's anything reading into it other than the fact that in the summer, we won't have the same manager and he only has one year left on his deal. So he has to sign or go, basically. So that would be up to the incoming sport and director and manager to say, yeah, obviously I want to build around you, Virgil, or no, I was dropped on my head as a child, so I'd rather sell you this summer. Those, yeah. you know, that, That's what we've got to face this summer, basically. So I think he's just saying, I don't know, it's not up to me. Basically that. Well, I would suggest that if a new manager was appointment appointed, uh, regardless of who that was, and then said, no, actually, you know what? I, I don't want the best centre-back in the world in my team. I would suggest that we would have to remove them from the role immediately mm. and seek an alternative. Um, I don't and, indeed, and indeed the person who appointed them. Yes. Yes, exactly. I don't think there's any doubt at all. Virgil will be here long-term. The club will offer him a new contract. And I think he'll actually end up... He might not retire at Liverpool, I could see him being the type that maybe when he's 37, 38, heads over to MLS and does a year or so over there, or maybe goes back to the Netherlands and does a year there. But um, I think he's got years ahead with us, so I don't think it's anything to worry about. So that was said after Liverpool 5, Norwich 2, a game in which Van Dijk scored. Uh, Curtis Jones put us 1-0 up after 16 minutes and absolutely... Gorgeous assist from James McConnell. Then Ben Gibson headed home from a corner after some fairly sloppy defending by the Reds. Darwin Nunes made a two off a really good Connor Bradley assist. Diogo Jota pounced on some fairly poor defending by Norwich to make it three with a lovely finish. Virgil made it four, heading home from a Dominic Zaboz-like corner, two substitutes combining there. Borja Sands scored the greatest goal he will ever score in his entire life uh, to make it 4-2. And then Ryan Gravenberg off a Connor Bradley assist from short distance made it 5-2 and uh, gave the scoreline a, a nice healthy glow uh, thoughts on the game and thoughts on the draw. Liverpool now scheduled to take on either Southampton or Watford, who played out a 1-1 draw yesterday in the fifth round at Anfield. So very favourable draw. Yes, favourable is correct. Uh, this should be a path to the quarterfinals. Um we, you know, like to make jokes and complain that Man City get easy draws all the time, but we have to acknowledge here that although we did play Arsenal away in the third round, and that is a massive result to get through, uh, we've had back-to-back -back championship fixtures at home since then, which is really nice, which is really something to make the most of as well. Um, Southampton obviously doing fairly decent and very late equaliser for them, so at home for the replay, you'd imagine they will be favourites. 
obviously, we have a lot of history with them, but generally speaking, we're obviously quite a bit better as well. So I wouldn't be concerned at either one of those two sides. Probably a marginal preference to play Southampton out of the two, just because I just don't like Watford very much. Bit irrational, but there you go. That's what it is. Um, yeah, performance yesterday was pretty good, to be honest. Um, for for a pretty young team and for the lack of you know experience and know-how, spoke on Raw about how good it is to see the players who do come in, whether they're young or whether they're backups, whatever, play in the same way, playing the same patterns, um, putting together the same expectations of moves, whether they work or not is, you know, sometimes down to individuals or a little bit of finesse or whatever, but basically it's the same Liverpool just with different faces. And that's really good to see. And obviously lots of goals along the way was fun as well. It was, it's always nice to score loads of goals. Even if you can see the couple, it's always nice to score loads of goals. And I agree exactly what you said. It was really good to see, especially the young lads, Bradley McConnell, coming into the team and you don't notice any difference. You don't notice that it's not, well, you do notice it's not Trent, but Bradley was really, really good. Mm. Like Alexis, if, if you, if you told me that James McConnell was Alexis McAllister, if I was watching it on a grainy f- feed and couldn't quite make out who the players were, and you told me that James McConnell was Alexis McAllister yesterday, I probably would have agreed, would have, would have accepted it. Um, Gerald Kwanzaa had another very, very comfortable game. Just the, the fella looks absolutely at home every time he plays. I, I just think we're in such a strong position right now. Um, yeah. Just before we go any further with this, just if anyone hasn't seen the draw for the fifth round, Blackburn Rovers or Wrexham versus Newcastle. Blackburn and Wrexham play tonight and then the winner will host Newcastle. Uh, Aston Villa or Chelsea to play Leeds or Plymouth Argyle, Bournemouth against Leicester, Liverpool against Watford or Southampton, Nottingham Forest or Bristol against Manchester United, Wolves against Brighton, Sheffield Wednesday or Coventry against Maidstone United, Maidstone obviously knocking out Ipswich and unfortunately for them not getting one of the Premier League big boys and then Luton versus Man City. I do know, Carl, they kept all of the big clubs, all of the the likely favourites for this competition away from each other in this draw. So um, we should get a very, very competitive last eight. Uh, but going back to this, just to highlight the two fullbacks from yesterday, Connor Bradley, man of the match, two assists. Should have had a third. Cody Gakbo, how do you not score that? If Darwin had missed that, Sky would be doing an hour on it today. And Joe Gomez at left back, yet another very, very strong performance from Joe, who has been absolutely phenomenal this season, whether it's right back, left back, or the few games he's played in the middle. But coming off the bench, a returning Trent Alexander-Arnold and a returning Andy Robertson, who got one hell of an ovation from the crowd after what I think is 13 or 14 weeks out. Mm. So now it's just Costas who's missing from the fullback group. What do you do over the next few games? You've got Bradley who he's probably earned a few more minutes. 
You've got Gomez, who's absolutely made a case that that is his position now. You've got Andy Robertson, who's been the starting left back for six, seven years at this point. And you've got Trent, who's the best in the world in his position. How do you manage this over the next few games? Because we've got, obviously, that FA Cup game is one where you'd look and say, okay, that's a Connor Bradley game. That's a Gerald Kwanzaa game. But we've got some very, very tough league games coming up. So how do you manage the fullback spots? Well, I mean, I do think that Trent will come back in. And to be honest, I think over the last few games, our fullbacks have been the best players. Um, Gomez and Bradley have been outstanding. Like we haven't had the most um, difficult, obviously, of opponents in the last, like, let's say, three fixtures. But even before that, we obviously went away to Arsenal. Trent did play that game, but Gomez was really good. So, I, I mean, Gomez has been excellent. And for the Chelsea game, I would leave Gomez in. Um, the reason for that one is obviously his his ability. Uh, his form, his consistency. The other one is that Robertson's been out for so much longer. So I would probably more err on the side of caution with him in terms of build and back up his minutes Um, and just take it one game at a time with that position, basically. You know, start Gomez, bring on Robertson um, and then we'll see about Arsenal because Arsenal away is obviously the very, very big one that we've got coming up in the next well, before the final, basically, out of the next four or five games, Arsenal away is the most difficult game. It's the most important game in terms of uh, a Premier League title fight. That's obviously where we'd be most likely to drop points out of any of the games and Arsenal are the team who are closest to us. So potentially you want Robertson back in for that game if he's looking great. Oh, I but, disagree entirely. Right, but but that's if he's looking great and he's only got two sub appearances to show that. That's what I'm saying. This, this is why he's, got, he's got, yeah, that's the thing. He's either One, short minutes, Norwich yeah. and Chelsea. So if he's looking absolutely outstanding and flying and like the break has like really done him good physically and like his, you know, his mentally he's right back on it in training and looks absolutely blinding. Fair enough. Then if he's done all right in two sub appearances, then there's a case to be made and you can make that decision. But I don't think you need to make it ahead of time, really. I don't think there's any need to rush that because like, you know, three months out is, is quite a while, to be perfectly honest. So mm. in terms of rhythm, uh, obviously upsetting the, the defensive, fairly resilient performances that we've had recently. And you take out of someone out of the team who has been in really good form in Gomez. So I keep Gomez in for Chelsea and Robertson can have another game off the bench. And then we'll see, basically, is where I am for left back. So Joe, right Gomez, back is, Joe sorry, Gomez has marked Bukayo Saka out of two games Yeah, within the last month and a half. There is no circumstance in which I'd be going to the Emirates with anybody other than Joe Gomez starting at left back, unless he gets injured or turns in an absolute stinker against Chelsea, which I don't envis- envisage happening. I think Joe well, Gomez has to start the next two games. Well, then I was going to turn it around. I'll say four days between matches. Do you start Robertson against Chelsea or do you just leave him bench for both? No, I leave him bench for both. And I, I target Burnley as the game to bring him back in. Like you said, He's been out a long time. I'm not sure people fully grasp how long Andy Robertson's been out. And especially for someone like Andy Robertson, who, I mean, he had the ankle issue at the start of the season. Was it the year before last where he missed six weeks or whatever? And other than that, like 
he's rarely ever had any kind of extended absence from the team. Now, it can work both ways. This break might have been the best thing to have happened to Andy Robertson because he had he had declined significantly from a physical point of view. His decision-making had gotten worse. His, his delivery had gotten worse. There were some, some signs of life that he was finding a bit of form before the injury. But, I mean, he was poor to start this season. He was awful last year. And he didn't end the previous season all that well either in 21-22. He, he looked like a guy who was on his last fumes. So I do think maybe this break might give him a second lease on life because it's the first real break he's had since he joined Liverpool because he's been playing week in, week out for us, most weeks, two games. And then like Scotland have run him into the ground as well. It's not just a, a Liverpool thing. He's played a phenomenal amount of football over the past seven years or however long. So maybe just the break will, will do him the world of good. But I mean, Joe was playing so well that I, I just, I think if it's even straight up head to head, I just think Joe's the better defender right now. I think he offers more in that role because he can do more things. Joe can sit into a back three and look very comfortable. Joe can invert into midfield and look very comfortable, or he can play as a traditional left back and look very comfortable. Andy Robertson can only do one of those three things. So Joe gives us more flexibility with what he's doing. I would rather have him. I also think Joe's a better one, 1v1 defender. Now, Robbo's a good 1v1 defender, but I think Joe is exceptional in that regard. So I'd be starting Joe for both of these games. And then you get Burnley, uh, an injury hit Brentford, and then it's the cup final. I would be giving Robbo one of Burnley or Brentford, and then we see after that. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Fair enough. So he's looking at cup game as well, possibly being a, a get-back-up-to-full-speed kind of capacity. Um, yeah, I mean, if he, if he started Burnley, if he started Burnley, came off the bench against, if he gets, say, sub appearance against Chelsea, sub appearance against Arsenal, starts Burnley, comes off the bench against Brentford, uh, maybe on the bench for the cup final, and then starts the FA Cup game, maybe he starts Forest as well, and then it's the, City, and we can see from there. The. FA Cup game, if I'm not wrong, would be the midweek after the League Cup final. Yes, the 28th. Yeah. Yeah, Wednesday the 28th. Yeah. It starts getting quite congested around there again. It does, which is why I'd want to have, you know, that, that one start 
that the, the cup game then becomes the second start. He gets three, maybe four sub appearances, and then you have him start the Nottingham Forest game as well. And then it's then it's the busiest time. Like from from when we go to City, oh sorry, when when City come to Anfield onwards, things will be hectic because we'll have the Europa League. Likelihood is we also have the FA Cup quarter final and and so on. Mm. Um, and and the fixtures. They they kind of favour us. Like we go Forest, which is an easier one. City at home, very hard. Everton, it'll be a physical game, but we should beat them. Like they're not a good team. Then we get Brighton. They're obviously a good team. Then Sheffield United, who are awful. Then we go to United. Then we get Crystal Palace at home. So it's kind of like an easier one, a harder one, an easier one, a harder one. So we should be able to balance the squad and have some rotation through that time. Nobody should have to play Forest City. Not no, Some players will, but not everybody will have to play Forest City, Everton, plus Europa League game. We should be able to rotate in that four-game span and then again in the next four-game span as well. And at some point, obviously, it'll be very interesting to actually find out who we have to play in the Europa League, which is uh, obviously still quite an unknown quantity in terms of how strong we'll need to go in those mm. couple of games as well to begin with. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Like it, it's it, obviously we're, we're, we've become so used to being in the Champions League and, and you'd know mm. who you were going to face. And instead, like we're sitting out waiting for games on the 15th and 22nd of this month. And then the draw on the 23rd of this month to find out who we'll play. Uh, those games will be played the 7th of March. Uh, so that is a couple of days before we're due to play City. So hopefully we get an easier game so we can rotate. And then the 14th of March, which is obviously between uh, City and Everton. So I I would guess we're very much keeping our fingers crossed and hoping that we might draw Braga or Quarabeg. Um, winners, winners of Lance Freiburg. <laughs> Yeah, that that's the kind of the kind of one you want. Even Galatasaray or, or Sparta Prague would be favourable. Um, for those that aren't aware, it's Feyenoord, Roma, Milan, Rennes, Lons, Freiburg, Young Boys against Sporting, Benfica, Toulouse, Braga, Quarabeg, Galatasaray, Sparta Prague, and Shakhtar Donetsk, Marseille. There's nobody there that that is really of concern. I mean, the teams that are of concern, you'd look at West Ham and Brighton out of respect, Atalanta, Villarreal just because, and Bayer Leverkusen, and realistically, we should beat all of them. Like, there's not one club I've named either in the knockout playoff round or that top the group that we shouldn't beat. Um, So that competition is broken very well for us. And if the FA Cup quarterfinal draw was to maybe pair some of the bigger clubs against each other and give us another favourable one into the semi-final, <laughs> I certain wouldn't be wouldn't be complaining if we got the Manchester United draw this year. Yeah, you're getting greedy now, Dave. Come on. Yes, I am, but listen, <laughs> it is what it is. Right. Um quick quickly on on to right back then, because we didn't even touch on that. Yeah. I, I do think it's slightly different because obviously one, the, the discrepancy in seniority in games and everything else between Trent and Conor Bradley is enormous, whereas it's not on the left-hand side. And also Trent has been out for far, far, far 
fewer matches than Andy Robertson, obviously. And Costas, when he eventually gets back, and he'll have to get a game as well at some point. So I do think that while Bradley has shown that he can come in and play a game, it won't be the case of sort of rotating him as much as, as like it is with Joe Gomez, for example. I would expect Trent to start against Chelsea and Arsenal. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I could even see a scenario where Trent starts Chelsea, Arsenal, and Joe Gomez starts Burnley with Robbo coming in at left back. You know, it might just be that that Joe becomes the that that we rotate those three between those two positions. And Connor Bradley might just get not uh, the the cup fifth round game, and that might be him for the year. Like we've seen with Jurgen before, where a young player will play a decent amount in the first half of the season, and then not play at all in the back half of the season, because you want your experienced players when it comes to the crunch. And yeah, I mean, there's the possibility if we win the first leg of the round of 16 in the Europa quite comfortably, maybe Bradley starts in the second leg. Mm. Um, I think there will be jobs for those players to do, to be honest, a little bit more than we've seen, just on account of the sheer volume of games we're going to have. Like, the only way we don't get through at least one more round of the Europa League is if we do something horrifically wrong. And to be honest, the only way we don't, go probably to the semis or final is if we get something badly, badly wrong or put in one of our worst ever performances, that kind of thing, because the calibre just isn't there to cope with us, even with rotations, to be honest. Mm. So where Connor Bradley may get some minutes, even off the bench, is for pushing Trent into midfield. And, you know, if if it's not Gomez, sometimes maybe Bradley will come on and do that right back role and allow Trent yeah, to go yeah. in. You know, we are still a little bit short of of numbers in midfield, even with Sobos like coming back, because now Alexis has obviously missed the last game. Um, we still don't know about the two Spanish boys' existence. So Oh no, 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 hang on a second, Carl Matchin. <laughs> hang on a second. In the in the aftermath of of the Jurgen news, the club gave us the gift of a picture. Of Thiago mm. talking to Jurgen, not training, <laughs> talking to Jurgen, but wearing his training kit. Um, n- no, no sign of the lesser spotted Besetic, um, who may just have been like, I was thinking about this, and maybe I'm wrong, but like last season was so horrific, and we were we were all just so bamboozled by this, the, the the crapness of it all. Did we just invent Stefan Besetic as like? <laughs> Something to cling to, like oh look, a young player. Maybe he doesn't exist. In in the absence of any Habak loan signings in January, maybe that's what happened. We'll just have to do it ourselves. Yeah, group, exactly. Group immersion into a delusion. God, um, that poor lad is having a tough time at the moment. But look, hopefully this year, even if he misses the whole season, hopefully the physical side of it. Yeah, stands him in good stead moving forward. Um, is he, he's he's certainly a very talented player. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, remember like when Gerard even he had not maybe not the entire season out, but he used to have like quite significant stretches out when he was a little mm. older than this because of the you know the size and the athletic demands on them, and it's you know it's part of aging and growing, isn't it? You know, at that sort of late teenage into the twenties age, it's just going to happen sometimes. But I think he'll be fine. 
Yeah, I do as well. I do as well. And and I'm certainly looking at, you know, the future and thinking mm-hmm. if it's Alonso, if it was Amaram, if they're playing that three, four, two, one, he would be he would be a good a good addition to the numbers in the midfield. Let's just say it was Alonso and he went and he bought Martin Zubamendi and you had Zubamendi and Alexis as the starters, Jones as the kind of the third starter who rotates heavily. And then Besetich was the fourth option in those two positions like that. That would be ideal for him to ease him back in next year, the year after and then develop him and grow him from there. And all of a sudden we'd have a midfield that people would be very, 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 very scared of. Um, anyway, back to the to the here and now. We play Chelsea on Wednesday night, a quarter past eight kickoff, which is just, it's just a bit shit, a quarter past eight kickoff. It, it just means that it, it's all pushed later and um, we're probably podcasting until half eleven after this one. Um, Liverpool at home, which is obviously a big bonus. Liverpool versus Chelsea, Carl, is, I think, my least favourite of the fixtures because they're all just so very boring. We've drawn so many games against them. Uh, Last season, we drew 2-2 at the bridge and 1-1 at Anfield. The season before that, no, that was, just, sorry, that wasn't last season. That was 21-22. We drew 2-2 at the bridge and 1-1 at Anfield. Last season, if I'm not mistaken, we drew 0-0 in both games. We drew 1-1 with them earlier this season. We also played them in those two cup games which ended in draws. And I think in 2021, we beat them at the bridge when they had a player sent off early. And then they beat us at Anfield. So we've won one in the last three and a half seasons against them. We've played them a lot. And most of the games have been very, very boring draws. I feel Chelsea and Man United are a bit similar for us in that we don't be as aggressive and forward thinking and forward playing and as normal as we should because they're not as good as some of the teams where we do be more of that mindset. Somehow, some way, some reason, we seem to just sit off a little bit more and not be as assertive and sort of let them have a bit. I know there's like some really good players there and they're going to have some spells in the game, but over the last two, three years, you know, we've gone to Old Trafford and at times not done anything and got a draw or played Chelsea and sat back, sat off them, not been able to press, not been able to assert any kind of physicality, that kind of thing. I don't really know why, but it does seem to happen against these two teams more than it should relative to how good they have been themselves. Well, well I think it's especially weird considering they're both mid-table teams. Like, they're not good. They're not. They're- I mean, like, there's obviously an element of they raise their own game when they're playing us because mm. of where we've been, and they do have really good players. 
which is why obviously everyone thinks that they're underperforming because they do have some really good players and they should be doing better than they are. And they spend such a shit ton of money that again, they should be doing better than they are. So when everything clicks for them, that's fine. That's a different matter. It's just, I feel that we let things click for them or, Mm. or we allow them to try and get their own game going too much. I just, I really don't want us to do that. There's no need to against this United, against this Chelsea. And more than against Arsenal, more than against Man City, more than against Spurs, I don't know why, but it always feels to me as we we let these two teams do it. Yeah, it's almost like we're playing the name rather than the team. Like, it's almost like with City, with Arsenal, with Spurs, we look at them and we think... Yeah, we can absolutely go toe-to-toe with you. Not only that, we're better than you and we're going to go and beat you now. Whereas with with Chelsea and United, it's almost like there's some weird hangover from like the 2000s and early 2010s where they were just better teams than us. And we're still playing that idea of Chelsea and, and United, like who were the top two clubs in England for up until Pep and Klopp arrived in England. They were the top, and even the first year they were both in England. Obviously, Chelsea win the league under Conte, but from the arrival of Abramovich up until that Conte season, Chelsea and United could have made claim that over that entire span they were the two top clubs. Um, yeah, it, it's very, very strange. Like this Chelsea team are not good. They're ninth in the league. And at the moment, they're in a decent run of form, it should be pointed out. Now, they did draw at the weekend against Villa in the Cup, but they've won three league games in a row, four of five. So that sounds pretty good. And then you look at it and you think, oh, well, they played Sheffield United at home, who are garbage. Crystal Palace at home, who are garbage. Luton away, who, with respect, aren't good. And Fulham at home, who, again, with respect, aren't particularly good. Um, the one game in between that that they lost was away to Wolves. So they're ninth in the league. We're obviously going to play them in the League Cup final. Uh, it is, of course, worth remembering they did lose away to Middlesbrough in the first leg of the semi final before hammering them in the second leg because Michael Carrick tried to play like Guardiola's Barcelona while having players more suited to Pulis's Stoke. Um, they've knocked out Preston in the FA Cup, but then couldn't find a way past Villa and only ended up with a draw because Villa had a goal disallowed. Um, there's, there's nothing really about them, Carl, that makes me fear them. Uh, Fafana is injured. Reese James is injured. Mark Kukurea is injured. Romeo Lavia is injured. Nkunku and Gusto, Gusto might be back, but I don't know that they'll r- risk them both from the start. Uh, Robert Sanchez is out. Leslie Ogachukwu is out. Trevo Chalaba is out. And Nicholas Jackson is at AFCON. While for us, obviously, Mata, Bissetic and Alcantara are all out. Mo is no longer uh, got AFCON responsibilities. He's just dealing with an injury. Uh, Costas is out and Muturo Endo is at the Asian Cup. I feel like not only are we a better team, just from a pure squad point of view right now, we're in a much better place than they are. Like we, we've just gotten three vital players, two nailed on starters and one who's been 
incredible for us. And, you know, might, might in Jürgen's mind, be a nail, nailed on starter still. We don't know how he'll view the left back thing. He might just think, well, Andy Robertson's back and Andy Robertson's my left back. So I'm going to put him in the team. Like he might well just think that because we've seen him with certain players in the past. Nothing will take him off the mindset of that's who starts in that position for us. I don't see why we should be in any way worried about this game, though. Hi, everyone. This month, the channel is supporting a local charity based in Edinburgh called Steps to Hope. Steps to Hope helps support people who are experiencing homelessness and addiction. The founder of the charity, Richard Roncero, is currently doing a Sleep Rough campaign where he is sleeping rough on the streets in eight different cities for eight weeks. Please like, share and follow the Facebook page. And if you can, donate. Thank you. Well, we shouldn't be. We should just go out and play it the way we normally do. And that would see us win, to be brutally honest. Um, like like I said, Chelsea have got good players, but they don't have, they're playing their second choice goalkeeper for starters. So they don't have as good a goalkeeper as us. They don't have as settled a defence as us. Even if we do make a change or two, you know, we're going back to people who have played either dozens or hundreds of games with each other, depending on who comes in and who doesn't. Um, there's probably an argument in midfield that if everybody's playing at their very best level, Chelsea fans would say theirs is better and Liverpool fans would say that theirs is better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can make a case for midfield fine and that's where a lot of control of the game might be. That's where when people are playing well, flow of game comes from build up play and everything else, fine. But Chelsea's are not at the absolute best level at the minute in consistency terms. I've seen them play really, really well. They, they played very, very well in uh, through midfield in the second leg against Middlesbrough, for example. But have they done it the last four, five, six, seven, eight games in a row? Probably not. And in attack, I mean, Chelsea are a bit weird. At the minute, I think that they've got, I would say... I would say three midfielders are set for Chelsea in Enzo, Caicedo and Gallagher and th- two forwards are set in Palmer and Sterling. Mm. And then there's one extra one who depends on availability and where Pochettino wants to play Palmer, whether it's through the middle as a 10 from the right-hand side. So he might play a number nine or he might play Palmer as a number nine and need a winger to come in. You know, There's one place which is very transitional at the minute for Chelsea. And it's probably that, only because Nkunku's injured. If, they, if he's fit, that's his role, agreed. isn't it? Agreed, agreed. But they've not had the chance to do that yet, which is obviously a, a frustration for them, a disappointment for them as well. But it is a really important thing because that one player who comes in and out, it's tended to be one of their super inconsistent players. So mm. sometimes they look really good and you think, well, that's their three. And then the next game he's sub or he comes off. Or he's just awful. Rubbish, or he's <laughs> awful. And that's often... Mikhailo Modric, come on down. <laughs> yeah, it is often Modric. But like even Noni Madueke, like he's had a couple of really, really impactful matches and then comes on four times in a row and does nothing. Like yeah. absolutely yeah. nothing. And at the back, he seems to have settled on Dezazi being a right back now, which is yeah. half interesting, half okay, half quite weird actually still. Um, like sometimes I quite like it. Other times I absolutely don't. Um Colwell has been either right, uh, sorry, either left back or left centre back, and again, it's fine. You can use him wherever you want at the minute, but I think it's quite clear when Ben Chilwell plays. Ben Chilwell is still a couple of levels above most other left backs in the Premier League, even after injuries. Mm. So there's a lot of moving parts in Chelsea. As a group, they should be better than they are, and I think that when they get clicking, they do look really, really good. 
but there's still some really weird disconnect in that team where considering the number of like quite hard workers actually that they've got, especially in midfield, sometimes they're just so easy to play through, really easy to play through. And I don't think that the defence in terms of partnerships is quite there yet. Obviously, Colwell and Silva, you know, in theory, should be able to sort of cover for one another and match up attributes quite well for one another, but it doesn't always look like it works. I don't really know. They're just quite slow as a pair. They are a bit slow. Not, yeah, I don't don't know that that's my biggest Silva can't defend space anymore. He just can't. You have to have, which is why he's he's been forced to play De Sassi as a right back and another centre. Like, so you've got centre-back with pace, Silva, and it's been Baddy Ashile for a lot of the season who's got good pace. Either side of Silva. It's the same thing Thomas Tuchel went through with PSG, where he was having to play Tilo Carrera right back, who he didn't want in the team, but he needed his pace at right back, and then Kimpembe as the left centre-back to protect Thiago Silva. Like, the sooner managers stop altering their team to protect a fella who's not good enough to play anymore. And yes, he looks fine when the game's in front of him and when he only has to defend in five-yard blocks. But you can't win in the Premier League playing at Thiago Silva. You can't win anything in English football. Yes, they won a European Cup. It's one of the flukiest European Cup wins anyone's ever had. Until they make a decision to move on from Thiago Silva, they're going to have an issue defensively. It's going to throw off their balance. You mentioned the midfield. Enzo and Moises do not look good together. Like, they just don't play well together. And I know they they pissed all over Middlesbrough, but we pissed all over Norwich yesterday with James McConnell starting in midfield with Ryan Gravenberg. So, like... Middlesbrough and Norwich are very, very similarly placed in the championship. They're literally one point apart. Borough have a game in hand. Both have won 12 and lost 12. They've got very similar goal differences. Norwich's is two, Borough's is is plus two, Borough's is plus one. Like, they're very similar teams. So Chelsea fans got themselves all excited because, oh, look, we're after outplaying Middlesbrough. The only game in the Premier League where that midfield has looked good this season was at home to Arsenal, where they just outplayed Arsenal for an hour. And then it it became an issue. And the, both of them got tired because they were having to do a lot of work. And Arsenal ended up getting back into it and getting a draw and could well have won the game if Eddie Nketiah takes that late chance. That midfield, to me, doesn't function well. They're both brilliant individually, but there's too much crossover in what they want to do and in the areas they want to play in. They both want to be the one taking it off the centre-back and progressing it through that central phase. Enzo does it, obviously, with more panache. He's a better passer. The ball, he's got more range. He's got more versatility to what he can do with the ball at his feet. Caicedo's more about quick one-touch passing, get it round the corner, move, get it again, and then get it forward. They're both brilliant individually. And I think if you took Moises Caicedo and put him in the Liverpool team, I genuinely think we'd be eight to ten points clear and running away with the league. I think he would have made a, a significant difference to us. I think he's still a tremendous player. I just... I don't like the balance between the two of them. I think both of them would look better 
if you stuck them next to like an Amadou Onana type, that big rangy box to box destroyer type who's going to get out of the way, not get involved in the build up, and will just crash into the box at the other end. The pairing, though, it just doesn't work. Enzo, his best partner since he moved to Europe was when he was at um, when he was at Benfica and he was playing with the fellow whose name has completely escaped my mind, who's a dynamic box-to-box ball winner. Moises looked best with Alexis, who was playing a more box-to-box type of role. Alexis would play that bit higher and he would sort of be the link of midfield to attack, whereas Moises could link defence to midfield. And that's why they work. Both Enzo and Moises are trying to do the same thing. And when you throw in Florentino Luis is exactly the name of the guy at Benfica. When you throw in the Conor Gallagher thing, again, I just think they look better from a footballing point of view without him. But he has outperformed both of them this season and is in the team on merit. It's just that, like, if we're being honest, Conor Gallagher is not good enough to play for a team if they want to win the Premier League or be in contention to win the Premier League. He's a good mid-table player. He could play for a good Europa League team, but at the top end of the table, he is going to fall short. And it's in part him, the lack of the, the partnership having fluidity, the lack of a goal scorer and the Thiago Silva thing. That's why they're ninth. They've had injuries and all the rest, I get it, but the talent level there should be able to ride through a lot of that injury issue. They've got holes all over the pitch and they have internal solutions and Pochettino's ignoring them. Where do you think their goals come from against us? Their goal-scoring chances? If Nkunku plays, he will be the main... I, I, I would view him as the one that would create the most, most chances. In terms of who's most likely to score, I, I think it would then be Palmer and... Sterling. Like, I could see Palmer and Kunku and Sterling being a bit of a Salah, Firmino, Mane type of imp- impersonation where Sterling, we know Sterling has the capability to be a 20 goal a season player because we've seen him do it multiple times for Man City. So if he's their Salah and Kunku's their Firmino, and Palmer's the Mane, so it's like in it's the reverse of what we did, left to right. I feel like that's the, their best hope. But Nkunku's played what three times this season, maybe four. It's a lot to ask, and I mean, I'm not I'm not as big on Cole Palmer as some people. He's definitely a very talented player. There's no question. Um, he needs to give up doing that stupid celebration. It, it's it's shit. But I, I do feel like that's a front three that has some potential. But I feel like it, it would be better as the three behind a nine in a 4-2-3-1 rather than the front three in a 4-3-3. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that, I think, always depends on who or who your midfield are in terms of ball progression. And who the striker is, obviously. I mean, if you've got a peak Radamel Falcao, then fair enough, because you've got someone who's going to lead the line and always, always be right on the last defender and so on and so forth. But 
if they pro- continue to to push with, you know, the Nkunku type or a Jackson type who likes to come deep, who likes to do channels, who likes to be in link play and all the rest of it, then I'm not sure. I think that three of those and a number nine is maybe too much of that. Maybe not going to get enough from midfield in those cases in terms of... Um, that's you know, where you need to, to look at the partnership in midfield. That yeah. That's like, yeah. that. It, it will not work with Moises and Enzo. It would work with Enzo and Amadou Onana. It could work with Moises and Alexis, for example. But I don't think it's going to work with the two they have there right now. Certainly not when you've got, when you factor in that back four. Now, if that back four is Reese James, Wesley Fafana, Levi Colwell, and Ben Chilwell, then that all of a sudden makes sense. But again, you have to go back to the question of who would that nine be? Is it Nicholas Jackson? Because if it is, it's just not going to work. If it's, I don't know, Jonathan David, then I think that would be a lot better. That is something I could see working. If they went in the summer and bought Onana and Jonathan David and said goodbye to Thiago Silva and maybe bought a right side centre-back, unless you want to go to Sassi, you could go to Sassi and Colwell, to Sassi and Badashile, whatever you want. That, to me, just makes a lot more sense as a team and would function a lot better. And I think the 4-2-3-1 would suit Noni Mudeki a lot better. So you'd have him in rotation with Cole Palmer. You'd have Mudrick in rotation with Sterling. You could play Nicholas Jackson, one of the wide areas as well, to get him some minutes. I feel like that makes a lot more sense for them. But, I mean, how are you a billion quid into this and you still need a nine, another one in midfield after all you've spent? I mean, maybe Lavia and Enzo would work better. I don't feel like it would. I don't feel like Lavia and Moises might work because maybe Lavia can be that connector through midfield. But I've said this to you before. It feels to me like their co-directors of football just sort of looked at each other one day and went, how far do you reckon we can push this? Like, how many players can we sign before somebody says to us, what's actually the plan here? And it doesn't look like anybody's asked that question yet. And they're a billion quid in to this rebuild and still probably a couple of hundred million away from having a team that's that's going to compete, not win the league. I'm not even that's not even a team that I think could win the league, but it's a team that could compete at the top of the league. It'd be very interesting to see what happens with Labia, because it seems like some people at the club who are not called Pochettino kind of want Conor Gallagher to be gone for you know, financial reasons and whatever else, but he's kind of the one who is only available to, uh, to knit everything together at the minute. And I don't think Lavia coming back solves that. I don't think even Nkunku coming back solves that particularly because it's still the disconnect in the central midfield partnership. So while they definitely have talent, there are more opportunities for us to exploit, I think, than they have um, weapons available to them to really go at us and again that kind of links back into what we were saying before and why I just want us to go and play our game and not let them do theirs Mm. this time yeah 100% like this is the time for us to really put down a marker because no matter look the thing is I, I said earlier about us playing the name rather than the team 
the name still carries a lot of gravitas. Chelsea Football Club. The same at Manchester United. United has been garbage for years. But when a team beats United, it's still a big thing and it's still it still gets a lot of attention. Even like with us, when we beat them, it, it's still the biggest talking point around. If a team goes to Old Trafford and win, despite the fact it very clearly isn't Fortress Old Trafford and hasn't been for a long time, it still carries a lot of weight. So, like you said it earlier, Arsenal is the big game. They're the team closest to us that we'll be playing up until City. They're the team that are kind of in the mix. But if we beat Chelsea, there will be part of the discourse around it where people almost view them as like equally difficult games. Like a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, we've got Chelsea and we've got Arsenal. We've got a mid-table team and we've got Arsenal is how we should be looking at it. But because it's Chelsea, we look at it in a different way. But I think we just need to look at them for what they are. They're a mid-table team. We're better than them. If you line our players up side by side with theirs, other than Moises, I'm sending all of theirs away. I'll take him into our midfield. But he'd need to be at his best. But I'd take him. As much as I love Enzo, no interest. Send all the rest of them away. We have a better team than them. Man for man, a a joint 11 is Liverpool dominated. Like, I would put Moises in because I'm a bit biased towards him. But if we're doing it on form, the midfield is Dominic, Alexis and Curtis. It's our front three. It's our defence. And even with Mo out, it's still our front three. It's not Cole Palmer. It's not Raheem Sterling. It's Luis Diaz, Darwin and Jota. We're a much better team than them and we need to go and we need to show that and put down a marker ahead of ahead of the League Cup final where we... I do not want to see another penalty shootout. We need to put down a marker this Wednesday, then get through Arsenal and then go and batter these in a cup final. Yes, definitely two wins from two in these particular games against this particular opponent. Um, for all the reasons, though, you know, like it's Chelsea and we don't like them and it's Chelsea and we got them in a cup and all the rest of it, but mainly just because we're top of the table, you know. We're top of the table. We have the best, I think the best or maybe the second best home form in the entire Premier League. I think maybe Aston Villa's still very slightly above us, but we're top and we want to stay there and we want to keep the gap to City and all the rest of it. There's there's no other reason needed than to go out and win the game is because we want to play the game and win the game, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's nice to have a couple of home matches at this point, I think. Again, we we said the other day, why is Klopp doing it now? Is it before this little bit of a run? It doesn't really factor in for Norwich, but two home matches and then Arsenal. Again, it's just it kind of feels like in comparison to previous years, previous things that happened to Liverpool, the timing of this year is a little bit okay for us, to be perfectly honest. I just think we have to maximise that. Yeah, I agree. So what's the best way for us to maximise this? Alisson and goal, Trent, Ibu, Virgil, Gomez. Yep. Dominic, Alexis, assuming fitness, and Curtis. Yes. Diaz, 
Darwin Jota? Yeah, possibly Darwin from the left to begin with and Jota through the middle. But, uh, you know, either way, they've been doing a lot of changing over. We saw Cody from the left yesterday as well and sort of Jota a bit more free, but from the right as such. So Mm. uh, as long as Diaz, Jota and Darwin are the starting three, I don't really care where they are positionally to begin with. They'll change it if they need to. Just go and start Darwin on Thiago Silva and just let him run in behind and it'll it'll be fine. The question Um, there is what you do if Alexis isn't fit to start. Yeah. Um I have my answer. I, I would be tempted to say you go Gomez right back, Robbo left back, and push Trent into midfield with Curtis as the six and Trent and Dominic either side. Slightly different but same outcome. I'd have Trent in midfield and just start him as the six and play Connor Bradley right back. Yeah, I mean, like, either way, either way. Um, uh, Bradley against Sterling, I would have some concerns. Yeah, but got to do it. Got to do it at some point. Yeah. Especially if we don't think that one battle, one duel, one pairing against each other is really going to determine the whole outcome of the game. It might. Yeah. Given how tight these games have been over the last three years, it might. Um. It also obviously would depend a lot on Robertson as well and where he is in terms of fitness and readiness. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Bradley's definitely an option. I don't like the idea of Trent as a six, though. But against Chelsea, it might not be as big an issue um, because they're they're not exactly rampant from midfield. Yeah, look, we should win this game regardless and we need to win this game regardless and then that will put us in a very good position to head into the weekend's trip to Arsenal. Obviously, a full round of Premier League fixtures um, starting with Nottingham Forest against Arsenal and we'll have to hope. If if Forest could do us a little favour there and Nuno could repeat what Steve Cooper did last year and they could take points off Arsenal at the City Grand, uh, that would just be tremendous for everybody involved. Um, City are home to Burnley, so we won't expect that Burnley will do us any favours there. Right, Carl, uh, prediction for this game? I'm going to go 2-0 Liverpool. Oh, that sounds like an awfully awfully big win for one of these games, but I... I, (laughs) I, I I do think it's it it's it should be what we're what we're aiming for. Like they're not good, they're just not good. I'll go three one. I'll go three one. That's a lot of goals for one of this game. Yeah, but Darwin is Darwin's getting at least two, and <laughs> Jot is in such incredible form. Like we're in we're in such a fortunate position right now with this group of forward players. Like, Mo has been away, and we haven't really missed him at all. And when you look at what these forward players are doing, it's very, very impressive. Salah's got 18 goals, but then you've got Jota with 12, Darwin with 11, and 10 assists. Cody Gakpo has nine goals. Luis Diaz has seven. We're getting goals from Curtis Jones this year. He's got five 
Dominic has four, Gravenberg has three. Like there's goals from everywhere in this team right now. Um, I, I I just feel like we have so many players that can win us a game, and I just look at their team and other than a Cole Palmer penalty, I, I don't see how they're how they're they're beating us. Like they they're just not a good team. They're just not. And their little win streak shouldn't fool anybody. It's been very, very fortunate. A penalty by Cole Palmer. They were very, very fortunate away to Luton, who missed a couple of sitters and should have probably gotten a draw if not won the game. And the late Mudeki penalty against Crystal Palace. Like, they're just not good. We need to beat them and beat them comfortably. Um, anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, there'll be a couple of pieces in and around the Chelsea game, so just usual on the Indy. There you go. There. Right. We will be back later in the week to discuss Arsenal, and uh, we might have some more clarity on what's going to happen with the future of our club. We should probably do something together at some point um, in regards to the future of the club with the director of football and maybe some do some suggestions and stuff on that but that's for another day right folks i will talk to you all soon and carl i will talk to you as soon as possible take care of yourself bye-bye we hope you enjoyed listening to this anfield index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.